This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you can find us directly on our social media pages, Healing Paths Recovery, or directly on our website, www.healingpathsrecovery.com. And while you're there, I would love a review. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm your host, Jackie Pack. Today's episode is a little bit of a follow-up from my previous episode, um, where I talked about different types of families. And in today's episode, I want to focus on enmeshed family systems. So I want to talk in more detail about what enmeshed families are, what they look like, and how it feels to be part of an enmeshed family. I also want to talk about what are short-term and long-term problems that can result from enmeshed family systems. And then lastly, I want to talk about how to heal from enmeshed family systems, or at least to the extent that I can cover healing from enmeshed family systems in a podcast episode. It's deeper than what I can cover in a podcast episode. So let's start off with a definition of enmeshment as it relates to relationships in general, and then specifically how it develops in families, which is where we learn enmeshment. So in the last episode, I talked about an overview of the three different types of families. Talked about an overview, again, I'm gonna go into detail more specifically about what each type looks like, but I talked about healthy and adaptive, I talked about disengaged, and I talked about enmeshed. And I talked about how often enmeshed families can look like their close, connected family system to those people on the outside of the family. And they can also feel like a close connecting family to the members within the family. And I shared what the distinction is for me between enmeshed family systems and close family systems, which is that in close family systems, there is a choice as to whether or not there is closeness and connectedness, and that closeness does not come at the expense of being an individual or of developing who you are as a person and being yourself. So what does it feel like to be part of an enmeshed family? Well, enmeshed relationships are ones in which the boundaries are very intertwined between the individuals. It can be an enmeshed relationship between just two people or a larger group where the boundaries are messy and unclear. People aren't really allowed to individuate, and it it tends to be confusing as to who is responsible for different things. So, for example, a parent role and a child role can be confused or blurred together, or they can be flipped. And then it's also confusing about what emotions each person is feeling. These things tend to be all blurred together, so it's hard to differentiate between whose feelings are whose and what am I needing to regulate versus what somebody else is needing to emotionally regulate. Now, if you've read some of the literature on enmeshed families, sometimes they are described as having no boundaries, which I would say is simply not true. All systems have boundaries and they operate within these boundaries. And all of us, I think, as individuals have boundaries. They just may not be healthy boundaries or they may not be boundaries that serve us well or serve the system well. So in enmeshed families, you're also going to read in the literature that they have what they describe as permeable boundaries, which I would say is partially true. I would say more they actually have enmeshed boundaries which is where the term enmeshed families come from. 
where they all have, they've mixed up the boundaries. They're molded together and then there's cutoff, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But boundaries within an Amesh family are actually somewhat rigid. So when people talk about permeable boundaries or something that you can pass by, permeable boundaries can actually be healthy in certain relationships, obviously not in all relationships, but sometimes it's good to have permeable boundaries or boundaries that are adapting and that are flexible and that can change. But in enmeshed families, there often is no flexibility in the boundaries. So family roles tend to be rigid, expectations are rigid, you know, where the family is basically defining or the, the people with the power within the family are defining what our values are. And there's a rigid rule that we don't deviate from them. There might be rigid expectations. This is the career that you need to have. These are the relatives we're allowed to talk to and those are the relatives we're not allowed to talk to. We're not allowed to share secrets from the family outside of the family unit. So the boundaries are actually completely inflexible and they're rigid. They get kind of all mushed up together where it might feel like it's permeable in that people tend to feel each other's emotions but not in a way that's like empathy or compassion, more that leads to confusion and the enmeshment, the inability to determine where I end and another person begins. So if you were the caretaker or the empath in the family, you know, you would be able to sense and know what everybody's feeling. And then you would feel it almost as if it's your own feelings. Now in some enmeshed families, you're actually told what to feel and you need to follow and agree with the feelings that other people in the family are having about certain issues. So what we would say is that the boundaries are mixed up in a mesh family systems and the boundaries are confused. The boundaries may not be appropriate to the roles in the family, meaning a child takes care of their parent or other hierarchies are mixed up. And then the boundaries of the family are incredibly rigid. Now, I think it is important to say that enmeshment exists on a spectrum. So you can have very severely enmeshed relationships and families where there's a mesh, but it's just a little bit, you know, think of it more of a continuum of percentages. So the family can be enmeshed at 30% or the family can be enmeshed at 90%. Also the enmeshment within the family can happen on a spectrum where certain kids in the family are more enmeshed with the parent than other kids in the family are. And there really isn't a prediction that we can make about which child a parent is going to enmesh with. Sometimes it's the oldest child but it can just as often be the youngest child or the second to youngest or the second oldest. It can be the same gender parents, so father to son or mother to daughter. And it can also be opposite gender. So mom enmeshes with the son or dad enmeshes with the youngest daughter. Sometimes if both parents are enmeshing, it can line up mom and daughter versus dad and son, or it can be the opposite where mom enmeshes with son and dad enmeshes with daughter. Now, if we look at the Merriam-Webster definition of enmeshed, it means to catch or entangle. And I think it's important to point out that this definition doesn't say anything about closeness, doesn't say anything about connectedness. And when we think of that, it means to catch or entangle. That doesn't sound like something we would want to be a part of. And yet often being part of an enmeshed family system is confusing and we think that this is a good thing. So if you think about the terms to catch or trap, entangle or snare, enmeshed relationships are a tangle like a web that you can't really get out of or it's very difficult to get out of. Some of you, 
I'm just going to take a moment here and pause and say some of you might be having a very visceral reaction to thinking of the word in that way. And just take some breaths if that is you. I think, you know, that can be maybe sitting right below our consciousness and maybe me talking about it brought it right into the consciousness and, and you're recognizing that's sort of how it feels when we're in an overly enmeshed relationship or an overly enmeshed family system. So healthy relationships, just for a perspective, can be seen as ones that navigate that space of togetherness and individuation in healthy and balanced ways. So an individual could be seen as both self-actualized and self-differentiated while also having closeness and connection to others. Now, sometimes I think we often mislabel things as independent that I wouldn't call independent or they're maybe toxically independent. And typically the word in psychology or the word in therapy that we like to use instead of just independent is the interdependent. So I would say that's one of the things that healthy relationships produce interdependent people where it feels safe to be myself to self-actualize and self-differentiate, but it also feels safe to rely on or lean on the relationships that I have to get support and validation and closeness and connection in my relationship. So that we would say is that interdependence where there is that balance between being the self and being relational. Now these healthy dichotomies aren't possible in an enmeshed family. The mesh family systems tend to exert enormous control over family members. They follow the same belief systems. They share the same emotions. They share the same hopes and desires for the future. There's an incredible loyalty to the family that becomes the most important thing. And often in an mesh family, there's one or just a few people who really dominate the family and everybody else kind of kowtows to them, tries to make them happy, tries to follow what they want. They're the ones that set the parameters. Now we would still say, even if there's only maybe a few that are dominating in an enmeshed family system, we would still see the whole system as an enmeshed system, but there may be often one or two family members who have the power and others comply with the enmeshment rules that they set. And when I say one or two who have power, I'm talking about enormous power and everyone else is supposed to toe the line. In enmeshed families, the emotional boundaries are not clear. Who's responsible for different emotions is just not made clear. And there are certain people in the family who maybe take a lot of responsibility for everyone's emotions. And then there's usually other people in the family, often the ones with the power, who take no responsibility even for their own emotions. And they can justify or rationalize all of their behaviors. Now, often when people grow up in an enmeshed family, they don't even know what their own emotions are. And this is by design. If we start to differentiate what my emotions are, I might start to differentiate in other ways as well. So that design is often supported and sustained by the family system. So I just wanna say here a word about the term family system because I know I've mentioned it a few times now. Family system is a concept in family therapy and it can be a good one to begin to understand. So family systems theory is a theory of human behavior that defines the family unit as a complex social system in which members interact and to influence each other's behaviors. So family members interconnect, allowing to view the system as a whole rather than as individual elements. 
And systems have certain patterns that are really challenging to change. And those patterns get passed down from one generation to the next. So if you grew up in an Amesh family, most likely one or both of your parents also grew up in an Amesh family. Although that's not always the case. In an Amesh family, the behaviors of each individual are seen to reflect on the whole family. And that's why the family can come down on somebody who's not behaving properly, according to the family or not exhibiting the values that they want seen in the outer world. In the mesh families, individuals are not separate from the system, where in, we would say in more healthy and adaptive, individuals get to be separate from the system and then that brings back and contributes to the whole of the system. So in a mesh families, if you're not doing what the family has determined to be right, usually there's some shame, you might feel some anxiety, so I hope with this description, you're getting a sense of how the emotional boundaries are just a tangled web that people can't really peel themselves out from on their own. And so what happens if one member of the family starts to go to therapy or starts to become aware of and work on these issues? Or what happens if they get into a serious relationship and they start to recognize maybe some of the issues in their family and it's starting to bother them and they want to differentiate. They want to individuate. What if they want to just be their own person and express who they are, or they start to set some healthy boundaries? Well, what's typically going to happen is they're going to get a lot of pushback. Any of that behavior that I just described is going to be seen as a threat to the family system. So they're going to get a lot of resistance. They might be put down or ambushed. Now, an example of ambush would be making fun of the person, teasing the person, the person who's setting the healthy boundaries, right? Or being disrespectful to them for trying to set those boundaries, maybe telling them that they're strange or they're weird or, you know, having our feelings hurt. And that might be genuine that the family has their feelings hurt because they're not feeling that loyalty that they're used to, that they're expected to feel that the loyalty to the family is first and foremost, and that's always. Family members can even be disrespectful to them for trying to set these boundaries, telling them, like I said, that they're weird or that they're strange. And often the rest of the family system or several members of the family are recruited into this process to try to ambush them so that it confuses them and in the hopes that it, they go back to what they have known or what feels familiar for them. Setting healthy boundaries within an Amesh family system can be extremely hard. And just understanding what a healthy boundary is can be hard for a lot of people, but especially from Amesh families, that can be you know really difficult and can take significant work to try to understand what a healthy boundary feels like and what that looks like. So basically in an Amesh family system, people can be punished, they can be excluded for being individuals, for having autonomy, or for expressing who they are as individuals. Now, you might be thinking, well, what if I, I want a close family? Aren't we supposed to want a close family? I want people who care about me, ask me lots of questions about what's going on with me. That doesn't seem like a bad thing. And I get it. I get it if that's what it actually is. But in Amash families, that care and closeness come with strings attached. And the cost of that is who you are. Now there's a number of differences in close-knit families and when I'm working with clients I find it's very helpful to have many conversations about what healthy families or healthy relationships look like 
So we start to have a model of what is healthy if that's what we're going to be trying to move towards. So in close families, there may be a fair amount of cohesion. Cohesion meaning we share the same values, we share similar approaches to the world, perhaps the same religion or political beliefs, or we have similar personality traits. So there can be a lot of similarities and there can be cohesion. The distinction is that families that are healthy and healthy families with cohesion, they value and prioritize the individual mental health of each member. So in healthy, close-knit families, people can be individuals. In fact, they need to be individuals. They can have different interests. They can have different personality quirks. They can move to places in the world that they need to move to in order to meet their goals or follow their dreams or move with a loved one to support them fulfilling their goals and their dreams. Now, of course, people in healthy families would be sad when a family member moves, but in healthy family systems, there's not going to be manipulation or guilt trips to the family member who is pursuing something that's going to improve their own life. In a close-knit family that is healthy and adaptive, people can share what they're going through emotionally. They can receive support, which is a wonderful and necessary thing that we need. In an Amesh family, people might feel like they can share what they're going through, or it might be expected that they share what they're going through, but it doesn't fall in line with the people who are in power. If it doesn't fall in line with people who are in power, the information that they share can be used against them. They can be put down or teased for sharing that information. They can be told they're wrong, kind of a gaslighting process, or that they really don't feel the way that they're claiming to feel. And so they can be made fun of and even bullied into compliance. In Amesh families, the inner world of the individual is or can be seen as a threat to the entire family system. And it's typically just not tolerated. So let's talk here about what are problems that come from an Amesh family. And I will say there's a number of them. So one that I've already mentioned, that enmeshment pattern often gets passed down from one generation to the next. Meaning that somebody who perhaps took on the caretaker role in an Amesh family might grow up. Now they could marry somebody who is, you know, needing them to take care of them. They're not gonna typically be attracted to healthy partners. So they could marry somebody who ends up abusing them or marry somebody who wants to dominate the world the way that their family member dominated their world or where the person with the power needed to be cared for, but not in a way that connects them to their individual empowerment. So this is a problem because these unhealthy roles and rules start to replicate and show up in the next generation and the next generation. Now, another problem that comes from Amesh families is Amesh families often result in loneliness for the members of the family. Because they're never comfortable letting people know who they are or what they think, what they like or dislike, or never really developing, let alone letting your authentic self shine. So there can be feelings of emptiness in addition to feelings of loneliness. And a healthy part of connection requires us to know who we are and to be able to share who we are with others who can accept and value who we are. Now, I've had conversations with clients about connection that comes from sameness versus connection that flows from differences. You know, so kind of saying, you know, if I love you and value you because you remind me so much of myself, is that really love or is that just sameness? 
or maybe we would might even call it a narcissistic love, which is I love me and I like you. I love you because you remind me of me. Now, I want to be clear here. There isn't anything wrong with having shared interests or similarities or shared beliefs. But the similarities and the shared interests can't be required or demanded, and they need to be healthy. They need to be authentic. Another issue in Amesh families is that shame and guilt are predominant emotions of the individuals coming from Amesh families. So when we easily tip into shame, or we often feel guilt for being ourselves, maybe being different, having wants and needs, we will have a difficult time emotionally regulating ourselves. And emotional regulation is a key sign of health, both emotional health and mental health. Being able to calm ourselves down when we're anxious or bring ourselves up when we're feeling low, regulating our own emotions and not getting overly angry or overly fearful, all of that is within the realm of emotional regulation. But if you grew up in an Amesh family and you don't even know what your emotions are versus somebody else's emotions, we don't even know whose emotions we're feeling. So how are you going to be able to regulate them when you were taught to regulate your emotions by picking up on what the main people in the family are feeling or what they need you to feel and then complying? Or we would call that like maybe some people pleasing. This is not emotional regulation. Now, sometimes this process is just automatic. We're not even aware that we learned that process. We're not even aware that we're caught up in that process. And we aren't even aware when it happens, which again, can make that emotional regulation extremely difficult. Another problem with Amesh families is Amesh families have been linked to abuse within the family system. If a family system is so strong and it's dominated by a certain power balance, it can facilitate abuse within a family. And this can be many different types of abuse. It can be physical abuse. It could be verbal or emotional abuse. There can be sexual abuse where, you know, like I talked about just a minute ago, that emptiness and that loneliness that enmeshed families create, along with the feeling of guilt and shame, can lead the person really wanting to feel close to people and really wanting that connection. And sometimes that's where that sexual abuse comes into play. I often think to myself that enmeshment itself is at least mentally and emotionally abusive, at the very least. Whether there's some physical abuse or sexual abuse or verbal abuse, we're still ticking two of the boxes, mental and emotional. Another problem coming from enmeshed families is that you're not allowed to individuate. So you can't achieve what you want to achieve. You can't express your individuality. That's really at the core of the enmeshment and it can lead to something called cutoff. So enmeshment and cutoff, think of those two terms as the two sides of the same coin. So in enmeshed families, as the members of the family age and grow, grow up, you know, there will be members who remain in the enmeshed structure and there's often family members who cannot stay in the enmeshment. And so they're not that close or that maybe they're not as included in the family system any longer. Maybe there's Uncle Gary that we haven't even talked about or talked to in nine years. Or, you know, Aunt Beth, nobody in the family can talk about her. 
Or there's just a couple of people in the family that if you talk to them, then your main family will reject you or criticize you. There could be an uncle who had a fight with your mother 40 years ago, and they haven't spoken since. So we'll typically see some signs of cutoff or lockouts in enmeshed families, and that is also part of the enmeshment. It's not that the person who's cut off is no longer enmeshed. I mean, they might not be if they've done their own work, but they could get offended, they could get upset, they could rebel, they could move across the country and still replicate enmeshment in their own relationships and their own family systems. So it's not necessarily just getting cut off ends the enmeshment. Maybe that person is cut off, and if that person is cut off, like I said, they can still be enmeshed in one way or another unless they've really gone through some enormous recovery and they've been able to build a life that is meaningful to them with people who want them to be themselves. If there's cut off and discord and both people are holding on to it, we would say both people are still part of the enmeshed family. So the people who are cut off are part of that enmeshed family and the people who are still a part of the enmeshed structure are part of the enmeshed family. And often family members are gonna pick up on the rule that individuation isn't allowed at least not if you want to be part of the family system. And I want to just say here for a minute, that cutoff can be extremely damaging. Like I know when my mom told my grandma, my dad's mom, when and my mom called her and let her know that she was asking for a divorce. And initially, I think, you know, I initially for safety reasons and for financial reasons, uh, my mom initially asked for a separation for a year, she wanted a year, and then they would reassess. Um, and in her mind, and I remember I was old enough um, that I, she had said this, um, that she felt like if my dad, you know, if, there, if she asked for a separation for a year, then my dad might feel like there was still hope at the end of that year, but that that year would give, you know, the relationship enough time for the new normal to be the separation so that when she asked for a divorce, it wouldn't escalate into violence or different things that was common in their relationship. And so I don't recall if my mom, you know, was, I I don't think my mom told my grandma, my dad's mom, her plan. I think the older kids definitely knew the plan, but I don't think she told my grandma the plan. So I don't recall if this conversation, if it happened like at the time of the separation or more at the time of the divorce. My my memory wants to lean to it was the time of the separation. I mean, I think there had been some hints. I know there were several times, you know, I'm the second of six kids. So my older sister and I, when my parents were fighting and it seemed to be getting out of control and uh, seem to be getting unsafe and scary. Uh, You know, I think there were three times. Initially, we talked through, like, who do we call? Because we knew we'd get in a lot of trouble if we called the police. We also felt like we'd get in a lot of trouble if we called my mom's parents, who actually lived closer to us um, than my dad's parents. But we decided the safest of the ones would be to call my dad's parents. And so I've actually talked to my older sister about this, probably I would say within the last maybe three years. And we both remember it similar that one time grandma answered and 
I mean, I would imagine we were pretty upset to be making that phone call. Grandma answered the phone. And I think we said something to the effect of like, grandma, mom, and dad are fighting. And I'm sure, I mean, these are what, eight and 10 year old voices. I'm sure we had a lot of emotion in that voice. I'm sure our voices conveyed the fear that we felt. So that time that grandma answered the phone, she just hung it up. She wasn't willing to hear that her son was doing something wrong or bad. And so she just hung up the phone. Another time we were making a call to grandma and grandpa and dad came downstairs and pulled the phone cord out of the wall. So we didn't have access to make a phone call anymore. And then another time, I don't recall the order of these three things happening, but I think there were three times. Another time we called and grandpa answered the phone and probably said something similar. Mom and dad are fighting. I don't know what else we would have said because we, we were keeping those family rules pretty close. Like don't air the dirty laundry to the outer world. Don't let other people outside of the family system know of the problems. And so, you know, I don't know what else we would have said to grandpa other than that our parents were fighting. And his response was, we're on our way. And probably like a half hour later, they showed up. Grandpa was smart enough to know, or for whatever reason, my grandparents on my dad's side, they lived far enough away that it was, they were never close by where we lived. They never just dropped in, but this day they did. And they showed up, like I said, about a half hour after we had made that phone call and grandpa had answered. And he just said that they were in the area and decided to drop in. So he did not mention anything about the phone call. He didn't mention that we had told them they were fighting. And you know, it kind of dispersed the tension that was happening in the home at that point. So there were some inklings that there were some problems in our parents' marriage, at least on my dad's parents' side. Now my grandpa passed away, you know, he was older. He adopted my dad. He wasn't my dad's biological father. So he adopted my dad, I believe when my dad was 10 or 11 years old. He was the only grandfather I knew on my dad's side. And he was a wonderful grandfather, in my opinion. But there were some inklings, at least to them, you know, there would have been two phone calls that came in that said, hey, there's some issues. So fast forward, we're going down the road many years and you know, my mom calls my grandma to tell her that she's asking for a separation. And we never had contact with grandma again. You know, during that time, I think I had, I was married when my mom made that phone call. She had decided to separate shortly after my husband and I got home from our honeymoon. And so, you know, I had four children. I always sent her birth announcements and a picture of the baby. I never heard anything back. Um, you know, she, we were just, it was cut off. And she didn't talk to us. She didn't engage with us really in any way. I think with, when my younger siblings would get married, she would typically come to the wedding, you know, as a guest, but she would come with my dad and then they would stay a short time and then they would leave. So she may or may not really interact with us much. Um, and it was very clear that her loyalty was to her son and she didn't want to hear if there were any problems. And if even as her grandkids, if we were not loyal to what she wanted to believe about her son, we were out. 
we were just out. And so it can be painful, you know. I I mean, I think my kids were, I mean, they were much older. I mean, they heard me talk about my grandparents on my dad's side. My grandma actually outlived my dad. And I remember, you know, going to her funeral. And I don't remember who of my siblings was living in state at the time of her funeral. But going with several of my siblings and sitting there and hearing I had three cousins. My dad had a half-brother. And he had three kids who were older than me and my sister. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of closeness and connection because I think the youngest of his three were probably five or six years older than my sister. So, you know, six or eight years older than me. But I mean, you know, the first couple decades of my life, we spent holidays together and that type of stuff. I mean, as they got older and married, we might not see them as often, but we still saw them. And, you know, the cutoff extended to them. We did not hear from them after my parents' separation either. And so, you know, my kids grew up, I mean, they saw pictures of my grandma and grandpa and I would talk about them from time to time. But it wasn't until last year, the fall of last year, when we got together for a barbecue at my brother's house that my cousins had reached out and said, hey, let's get together and have a barbecue. You know, and I was telling my kids, I'm going to a barbecue at my brother's house and you guys don't need to come if you don't want to, that's fine. And they were like, who are you having a barbecue with? And I said, well, they're my cousins. And I mean, my kids were like, wait, what? You have cousins that we've never heard of? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess. Like, it's been over 30 years since I've seen them. So, yeah, they wouldn't have really been part of your life. And so I just didn't really talk about them because they weren't part of my life either anymore. And I think, I mean, even my youngest three siblings didn't go. They were kind of like, I was really young. Like, I... They seemed more like aunts and uncles to me, or I didn't really have a connection to them. I think my youngest sibling was maybe like six or seven, probably the last time he saw them. He was just like, I don't, I don't know these people. So that cutoff can be harsh. It can be very abrupt. You will feel that you're being cut off. And, you know, so it it can really do a number on you if you aren't doing some work around that. Like I was saying, family members pick up on the rule that individuation isn't allowed, at least not if you want to be part of the family system. And this lack of individuation forces people to either leave the family system and be excluded from it or to not become who they are as a person. You kind of have those two choices. I'm either going to be cut off from my family system or I'm going to give up being myself. So it's going to be hard for you as an individual to individuate because you're risking cutoff which can seem so overwhelming when you've grown up in enmeshment. I mean, sometimes when I'm talking with clients and they're thinking about, you know, that they might be cut off, they are thinking, how would I even survive cut off? And that's a different conversation for a different time period, depending on their unique circumstances. Another problem with enmeshed family systems is that people who grow up in enmeshed families end up with really negative core beliefs about themselves and often about the world. They may not feel that the world outside their family is safe, even though maybe they know on some level that the world inside their family isn't safe. And this could cause what I talk in many episodes, maladaptive coping skills, which on some level we might have an awareness that these are problematic and problematic in our life. And maybe, you know, maybe we, we on some level, we, we have an awareness of being screwed up or a belief that something is wrong with me while also not knowing what the origin source is. So these maladaptive coping skills 
can include addictions or other ways of compensating for not feeling good enough or not feeling worthy of love and acceptance for who you are. We can compensate by being too nice to everyone, being that people pleaser, not saying how you really feel for fear of upsetting someone, not expressing healthy anger when our boundaries are crossed, and not being able to say no to others. Or we can compensate for our negative core beliefs by taking on too much, which is also going to stress our physiology. And these stresses are going to have a negative impact on our immune system, our cardiovascular system, our nervous system, and they can result in disease. Or we can experience high anxiety or bouts of depression. And again, not understand the origin source. Maybe instead we conclude that something's wrong with me. Now, I think the family system can lead to some pretty deep negative core beliefs. And if you were to try to bring that up or to make changes, you are risking cutoff. Another problem created in a mesh family systems is that when individuals are not allowed to be who they are, they can't actually be close to others. If we're not open, if we're not able to be vulnerable with others, if we're not able to share who we truly are and have connection and closeness, then, you know, all of that isn't possible. Now, again, like I said, people outside of the family will often view Amesh families as close. And we are taught and we believe as a culture that closeness is good in families, right? It's good for a family to support one another, to be involved in each other's lives, to spend time together, to care about one another, to be loyal to each other. And I'm not saying any of that isn't true. The problem is there's really a confusion about what enmeshment is versus closeness. So enmeshed families can appear close, but in reality, a lot of the family members are hiding their feelings, perhaps hiding some of their activities. They're only presenting to the family unit what has been deemed appropriate by the family unit or to those who have power in the family unit. So enmeshment and closeness really are not the same in any way. In fact, enmeshment guarantees that there's not healthy closeness and there's not true support because it's not support of the individual and what that person's passions in life are or what they want to achieve. And this takes me into the next problem. People who grew up in enmeshed families have a lack of healthy boundaries that can follow them throughout their lifetime. Healthy boundaries begin with knowing who you are, where you begin and where you end, and another person begins. Because in enmeshed families, the boundaries are so blurred, this hasn't been modeled or taught, and it makes relationships outside of the family very confusing. Now, I've worked with a lot of couples where one person in the relationship is enmeshed with one of their parents, and the enmeshment is causing a lot of difficulty and problems in their marriage relationship. And rather than looking at the family they grew up in, it's easier and it follows the enmeshment rules to put the blame on the relationship partner. And then in their work in therapy, as they're asked to examine the impact the family they grew up in has had on them and maybe is still having on them, they start to see the enmeshment. And then they start to put firm boundaries around themselves and around their relationship with their family of origin and what do you know, their relationship begins to improve. Just by having some firm, healthy boundaries with their family of origin, their relationship of choice starts to improve. And then lastly, children who grow up in enmeshed families are more likely to be love avoidant or love addicted, or there can be a combination of love addicted and love avoidant among the kids. Pia Melody does a great job of breaking this down in her book, Facing Love Addiction. She says, quote, love avoidance consciously and greatly fear intimacy because they believe they will be drained, engulfed, and controlled by it. 
In childhood, love avoidance were drained, engulfed, and controlled by somebody else's neediness, somebody else's reality, somebody else's existence, and they don't want to go through that again. This experience of childhood enmeshment created a deeply ingrained conviction that more intimacy will bring more misery. So again, she's talking there about the emptiness and loneliness often that they feel while also feeling drained and engulfed and smothered by relationships. She continues, at the same time, love avoidance fear being left at some level, this fear is usually unconscious, although in some love avoidance, it is fairly close to the conscious level. The fear in adulthood stems from being abandoned as a child by the caregiver, since when a child is forced to nurture the parent, the parent abandons the child's needs for nurture. Since love avoidance usually had very little human contact in childhood that relieved their pain, fear, and emptiness of abandonment, they did not learn that a relationship can relieve these feelings. But this unconscious fear of being left draws love avoidance toward relationships, even though they have great difficulty making a commitment or connecting to their partner. Love avoidance believe that being in control will allow them to escape being drained, engulfed, and controlled, and at a deeper level, to avoid being left themselves. Okay, so let's talk about what do you do and how can you start healing if this describes your family system. First of all, you need to know that this will be a process. This will be a journey. And because enmeshment dynamics are so complex, and can be mistaken for closeness and healthiness, it isn't typically something you can just do on your own. This will take time, it will take support from other people, as well as from mental health professionals who understand enmeshment dynamics and the trauma that they cause for people who grew up in enmeshed families. So the first thing that you can do, and it's always an important first step, is to recognize that enmeshed families do have boundaries, not healthy ones, but recognizing this and starting to identify the rigid boundaries or the rules or expectations that you have this inner sense of having to live by can help increase your awareness for the need you have to differentiate from your family system and to begin to develop your own boundaries. This also helps you start to really get in touch with who you are, what your wants and desires are, what makes you you, and how do you shine so as you're exploring this, you don't have to share what you're doing or what you're discovering with your family system. This may be one of the boundaries that you put in place that as you're exploring and strengthening your self-image and your concept of self, that this isn't something your family system gets to be aware of or have input on or tease or make fun of. I think it's important to say here that as you're exploring the unhealthy boundaries in your family system, and you're sharing with safe people or your therapist what you are wondering or exploring or discovering, it will feel wrong to talk about this with another person. In enmeshed families, you know, that rule of not airing the dirty laundry, don't talk about problems, so much so it's such a strong rule that you might not even see the problem yourself. And sure, I can get behind not going around shouting the issues of our family to the world, but it is important that there are a few people who you share what you're discovering with. Sometimes when we are increasing our awareness and exploring the issues within our enmeshed family, it can get overwhelming and we can have an urge to throw our progress away and head back toward denial. 
And again, there are valid reasons for feeling overwhelmed or for feeling like it's too much or for feeling wrong about the work that you're doing. Maybe you feel like you're just being selfish or you're creating an unrealistic bar or that you need to go easy on your family because they were just doing the best they can. And after all, look at all they've done for you over the years. And here you are being critical and judgmental. So this is where sharing what you're discussing with your therapist, share it with a few select people, is helpful in allowing you to hold on to the truth that you're uncovering and to be accountable to the people you're sharing with so that you continue to move forward in your healing and you don't just throw in the towel and give up. It's also important to understand there will be a significant amount of time dedicated to learning how to emotionally boundary yourself so that you are clear on what emotions are yours to take care of and what emotions are another person's to take care of. What emotions are you responsible for and what are you not responsible for? This is a confusing process and it takes practice, it takes training to learn to not pick up on every emotion of every person around you. You might need to shield yourself initially, but in a way that you know doesn't keep everyone out and learning what amount of feeling for others is healthy for you and where the line is between empathy and enmeshment. Empathy allows us to feel for another person and even to feel a connection and emotional understanding, but it does not make us responsible for their emotions. It's not our job to fix things or to make them happy by doing what is best for them, particularly when it betrays what is best for you. So just know it's going to take time, it's gonna take patience, and it's gonna take help from others. Consultation, if you will running it past people. Does this seem off to you? Does this seem healthy to you? While you're unlearning what seems that you just instinctively know or feel that is to be expected. That process of unlearning is critical and it's hard. And then lastly, you will need to begin the process of individuating. Keep in mind that in enmeshed families, the people who want to individuate were perceived as wrong or bad or as betraying the family. So starting the process of individuating will bring up those beliefs in you. It'll trigger those feelings for you. It will also bring up sorrow in understanding that this harmed you. Maybe you'll feel bad that you have to go through this and other people went through it at a more age appropriate time and you have to do it without the support of your family and maybe others did it with the support of their family. It can trigger your fear of abandonment that kept you compliant with the Amash family system for so long. And it will bring up grief, grief of not being able to develop the wonderful things about you, your talents and your passions and your purpose, grief around the friendships or relationships you ended because they threatened your family, the interests you started to pursue and abandoned because it didn't align with what the family thought you should pursue. You might feel lonely for a time, And it can feel like a very long time as you begin this process of healing. It might help to reduce the guilt you feel from separating emotionally from your family system in order to create space to figure out who you are at your core, apart from the family messages and expectations. It's not uncommon in the work that I see clients doing around enmeshment for them to block the family for a little while or for a long time depending on the circumstances. If you're thinking, I can never do this, or you're seeing that the only choice is to stay within an enmeshed family system, 
so that you're not completely cut off. I just want you to know that there is a middle ground that is actually healthier for you. Now, how you get there is complicated. And I totally understand that complicated doesn't always feel good. But it can help to know that as you begin to develop healthy emotional and physical boundaries, where you know what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for, and you've started to develop a formula, usually with the help of your therapist or another trusted person in your healing journey, some of the shenanigans that your family system used to employ to bring you back within the enmeshment won't be as powerful as they used to be. They won't get to you in the same way because you'll be able to spot the manipulation and see it for what it is. You'll be able to respond rationally and you'll also be able to protect yourself when needed. You might see their teasing or taunting as their fear of you leaving them. And while the teasing and taunting might still be hurtful, you will also see it for what it is and know that isn't what happens for you in healthy relationships. You will have more clarity and confidence as you recover. Now, one word of caution, as you start to become your own person and heal from the Amesh family system, it will start to feel good. And you might want to share what you've learned with your family system or some of your siblings. And I, here's my word of caution. I just want to state your goal in healing cannot be to heal the family system, or we can't have as part of your goal in healing to change your family system. Change is a difficult process on an individual level. It is much harder to change a system that often doesn't see a need to change anyway. You may not have a choice over whether the cutoff from your family system happens as part of your healing or not. What you do have a choice over is to no longer be cut off from your own emotions, no longer be cut off from parts of yourself, and to have the opportunity to develop yourself as part of relationships that allow for true vulnerability and authenticity. Relationships that want and need you to be your own person with your own values, opinions, ideas, and thoughts, and where you can feel truly safe in continuing to grow into the person you are with a support system who encourages your individuation rather than feeling threatened by it. At the end of this episode, I want to remind you that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story until it's finished. Until next time, Jackie. The Legal Stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and education and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. Prayer of the Perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I'm not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.